No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulallah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We'd like to welcome to the program today, the Lifehawk podcast, one of our most popular guests. Yes, uh, it wasn't good enough to have the sheikh once, twice, but we have to do it at least three times and we're going to keep going inshallah ta'ala. And we hope that we be, we can continue to be united upon the khair because, uh, you know, I think probably one of the most engaging speakers and guests that we've had has been Sheikh Abu Toba. So once again, Sheikh Abu Toba, friend of the show, uh, dear brother, we welcome you back onto the program, the Lifehack Podcast. Welcome and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakumullah khair. For the nice introduction. <laughs> so, Sheikh, uh, I uh, actually told you this moments ago, but I'm going to reiterate it. Mashallah, you you are looking very youthful, very invigorated. You look very happy. Mashallah, the full colors in your face. You know, I I'm very pleased. You know, because you know, Subhanallah, I was just um, I hadn't actually listened. There's a big uh, you did a like a long podcast series in Turkey. And I actually didn't have a chance to listen to the whole podcast. And then somebody told me that it was taken off of YouTube. And I started panicking. I was like, man, I didn't get a chance because, you know, it's like four or five hours. And so I started searching for it. I started searching for it. I couldn't find it. I found the audio version. And then I just started like cramming the audio version, listening to it because I'm like, I want to listen to it before it disappears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I finished listening to it. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to get the sheikh back on. Like, you know, and, you know, sometimes you worry. It's like you take people for granted. You take uh, our brotherhood for granted, our people of knowledge for granted. And Allah SWT can t- take anybody away at any time and their knowledge and anything. So I'm like, you know what? I need to, uh, I got a sense of panic, actually. I said, I need to get a hold of the sheikh and I need to uh, connect with him uh, for the sake of Allah SWT. So I am actually very overjoyed to be able to speak with you uh, today. And I really thank you for your time. Jazakallah khair. You know, I didn't even know that in the videos were taken off, you know, because you're not involved in that aspect of it. But that's interesting yes, to know. Yes, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Because the things people yes. need to realize is that when those things are done, that's for because of political reasons, because of mm-hmm. things that we have said and things they don't want to be um, spread. And that should tell them something as well. OK, mm-hmm. the war is not only with weapons, not only financially, mm-hmm. but it's mainly an ideological war, war of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, that leads us to the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, Sheikh. And the reason why I want to talk to you about this is because, uh, you know, human history, modern human history, especially in the last few decades, uh, we've had some really significant effects that have uh, affected all of humanity generally and the Muslim community specifically. So we had, after World War I, World War II, the most devastating wars in human history. We had the Cold War, where the Soviets were the number one enemy. Uh, and I think with the advent of the Cold War, um, the whole science of propaganda uh, really started to, you know, develop, you know. And then 
we have, of course, um, afterwards, like a war on terror, essentially, right? So a war with the with the Muslim countries or quote unquote the Islamic world, and that was a big cash cow for a long time. And then after that, the world was completely focused on COVID, right? This pandemic, and now the world is completely focused on the issue with Ukraine, right? The issue with uh, Ukraine and Russia, you know? And you have, and because I, I, I told you, I listen to a lot of what you say, and I know you have actually expertise to understand the inner workings of like this military industrial complex. And a lot of people just like, they look at it from one kind of explosion or one kind of thing that's being promoted, you know, that's the most flashiest thing in front of them to the next, to the next, next. While there's, you know, obviously there's a game that's being played. There's an agenda that's being created. Um, how, like what, how do the, how should the Muslims react to this? Because it's like, uh, you know, when the war on uh, terror happened, for example, Muslims are like, okay, let's, let's show them how great of a citizen we are. Or then there were some Muslims, okay, we need to go fight. We need to go do this. We need to, so everything's kind of being reactionary, reactionary pandemic. Okay. Let's follow all the rules to the T. No, we're not going to follow any rules. We're going to do our own thing. And so there's mass confusion, right? And then there are people during this time, like people don't understand what's happening behind the scenes because like during the, the war on terror, you had a great transfer of wealth into the hands of a few people. The pandemic actually was even more so than that. And now you have this war with Russia and Ukraine. There are certain people that are profiting from it. And then the general people are kind of just being lost in the sauce. So what is your advice based on like we have usul, we have iman to kind of help us guide us through like this chaos. How do we not get fooled by all these different types of great world events that are happening? Uh, and how do we, number one, remain grounded? How do we not get lost? And how do we forge kind of our own path? Um, you know, given the fact that, uh, you know, most of the times people in general are just reactionary. Something happens and a lot of times it's done on purpose to manipulate people. So I would like your um, uh, advice on that, uh, Sheikh, because I think you have um, like one of the most unique insights on this because of like the training that you have previously described you have. Alhamdulillah, the, uh, the question as you pose it is very important for people to understand the answer. How do you make your own decision? How do you think for yourself and understand what's going on? Do your best to understand what's going on. And the reason why I say that is one of the things we have to realize is that we're in an era where dissent is being hidden. Okay? As people are saying and trying to spread more of the information about what's actually going on, meaning the other side or another version, that other unofficial version is being attacked. And you see how many, let's go back a little bit. Hmm. Vietnam was the last time they had free press in the United States. When they had this free press in the United States, the people responded to what they saw and they chose an opinion opposite of, just talking about the American people, opposite of what the government wanted them to have. When they realized how influential that free speech, that free spread of information was, 
You have never seen a war so, you know, videoed ever again. They only show you after that what they want you to see. The whole war in Iraq, mm. they just showed you rooftops. Just rooftops mm. of bombs going there. They never showed you the people, they never showed you the fight like they showed you in Vietnam. Okay? Why? Because mm. they knew the people were reacting to that in a way other than the government wanted. And every conflict mm. after that, they only showed you what would be propagandic or hopefully inspire you to take their official version. That spills off to 9-11. That spills off to the whole called war on terror, where this promotion of the United States as being the moral soldier, the world, uh, what do you call it, policeman, the promoter of democracy. And this term in mentality sounds great. And it sounds so great, people stop thinking about what they're actually seeing in practice. Mm. Okay? And so they begin to believe the rendition, the official story, that America is undefeatable, that their stance is the, 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 the must-take stance, that NATO is the best thing since gravy, you know? And these types of things. And, and there's no one who should stand up against them or could stand up against them. This is dangerous for mm. the Muslim because now you've mm. made this UN, this NATO, this United States into demigods, if not God. Okay? You've given them abilities that go way beyond human ability. So mm. now what does Russia do now? Let's jump ahead. Oh, no, let's not skip COVID. So COVID comes in, and the official story is that everyone must, without doubt, get vaccinated, or you are committing, if not a misdemeanor crime against humanity, a criminal you know, infraction against the rest of the world. And anybody who mm -hmm. says anything else is a, is a, what does they call it, a, those people who have the, you're a weirdo with these, these this conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah, you're a non-vaccination. You don't trust science. You're a fool. Mm -hmm. you're, a, you're, you're, you're anything but a righteous individual with a scientifically sound, intellectually profound opinion and version mm -hmm. that is equally legitimate or relevant as the, the other side. And when any mm -hmm. scientist any researcher, any medical professional presented a sound mm. argument, that argument was wiped off of the internet. That person's internet was, was shut down or their access to it, they, pre they presented a wall. So unless you mm. had you know, unique skills to research those people and find out, then you didn't hear that other version. And so people were surprised that the so-called ignorant truck drivers in Canada shut Canada down and put, did the mm. final move to make Canada say, hold on, we have to think about this. When they went to the border and blocked the border and said, we're not going to bring goods over because we're not going to take mm. this shot. 
And that that was a I, I watched that whole thing unfold where they said we are not mm-hmm. going to give up the autonomy that we have with our own bodies. You know, mm-hmm. we, we may be just truck drivers, but if we don't own yeah. the right to say what goes in our own bodies, then we are slaves. And then they blocked mm-hmm. the border and said we're not because there was a rule yes. saying that they had to take the shot if they were going to go across the American Canadian border. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, you know, Sheikh, like I think a lot of people don't understand is that uh, 85% of those truck drivers were already vaccinated. What they were actually, uh, one of their biggest gripes was the mandate that you, you have to have this passport. And then once you have this system in place, then how do you maintain this passport? Or you need to make sure you get your booster every six months. That's the only way you're going to maintain that, that quote unquote passport. Right. And I think even with that issue, Sheikh, just so you know, because obviously living in Canada and being on the ground, hundred percent, like there were many people amongst those truck drivers, like they were Muslim haters, hundred percent. Like, I'm not going to dispute that. And, uh, you know, the, if you look at some of their history, like there was, the brother showed me, uh, they seized a whole bunch of guns uh, from at the border with these truck drivers, like body armor and guns. And on the um, body armor was written kafir. You know what I mean? So like there are hundred percent, there was haters. But I think from a Muslim perspective, you know, as and that's why I love you because you're an independent thinker, is that in principle, a lot of those things, what they were fighting for, um, we agree with that. Even though we don't like maybe uh, agree with the people on mass, like you know, wholeheartedly, but we agreed that you know people should have the right to uh, view dissent or to be able to protest peacefully and all of those different types of things. You know what I mean? But what you're telling us, uh, I think what you're highlighting especially, is that absolute control of the narrative. That from Vietnam to now, the way that people are manipulated or independent voices are shut down or you can't even have dialogue um, is almost unparalleled, especially given the technocratic state that we live in, right? With the more technology, they can spy, you know, before back in the days, if you had the most oppressive king, he can't spy on you 24-7, you know what I mean? Today, the most liberalized societies can literally spy on you 24-7. There's two points I want to make about that. One of yeah. them yeah. is that you made the point, you said, okay, these guys were are kuffar and they're anti-Muslim, right? Let's say all of them. Let's say mm. even if every last one of them was a kafir and they were mm. anti-Muslim haters, okay? Mm. Should we side with them when they're correct? Yes. Mm. Well, what's the proof? Surah Turun, Okay. Anybody wants to know when we support a Kafir group who are haters of Muslims, Surah Turun, where we see that there's a whole surah where Allah shows where the believers, we are supporting one group of Kufar over another group of Kufar because of what they stand for, because they're being closer to us and, and, and what we believe in in, in in our geopolitical stance, showing those people say, oh, there's no politics in Islam. What do you think a Khalifa is? What do you think the Prophet mm-hmm. Muhammad was in وسلم, in Medina, mm-hmm. except for the political leader of that country, okay, that city-state, okay? And what is a Khalifa? These people have no real understanding of what it means to establish Islam in your life. It's in every aspect of your life. But in this regard, 
whenever a group of people stand up and say something, we don't look about who they are. We listen to what they're about. And if what they mm. say is correct, then we say, amen. You know, amen. We believe that's what that's the truth. Even if Shaitan, who came with Ayatul Kursi, even if we say he's an unrepentant liar, he told the truth this time. Yes. We, ex we acknowledge and accept the truth this time in this particular instance. And what I was referring mm. to with them is they're, they're looked upon, truck divers are not looked upon as the highest people in society. They're looked upon mm. as an intellectual, you know, not elite, but delinquent. Most of them, mm. are, at least in the United States, have criminal records, it seems like, or, or retired people. They're not looked upon as the intellectual leaders. But these people had enough simple humanity in them to demand their freedom, okay? And were willing to fight for their freedom, even if they were called criminals, for fighting for their freedom and demanding their freedom. So what I and my point mm. with that is that no mm. one would have imagined that these are the ones that would have made this type of, you know, leadership because lead they led the way in that regard. And so whereas people are thinking that they are uh, you know, enlightened and so they put a mask on, you know, they stand 60 feet away and say, oh, no, this is because they are really not leaders or intellectuals, but they are drones. They're just going along the line saying, you know, what, repeating the state line statement. OK, not realizing, realizing that this could be a form of shirk. Okay, or it could be this. These people are they talk about taklid and everything, how blindly mm. they accept the other person's, you know, a version of facts and how low mm. self-esteem they have and how little understanding they have of the Islamic, uh, the objectives of Islam. Okay, and mm. the major objective of Islam is to improve your quality of life on multiple levels, okay? Your physical mm. level and your spiritual level, whereas this westernized, you know, drive is a Dajjal system, okay? Mm. And its objective isn't to enslave you physically, mentally, and what do you call it, spiritually, okay? And mm. it does so in multiple ways. And if we're not conscious of that, and then sensitive to it and aware so that we can push it back, we become, you know, the slaves of these particular systems. So now we mentioned, mm. let's leave COVID women because you're still dangerous if you talk too bad about COVID. Yes, yeah. But we, 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 will, we see that people held out. A lot of people held out. Even though they tried yes. to make it seem like most people did not hold out, a lot of people are still holding out with regard to that. Well, it's interesting now because it's no longer an issue. Like in Canada, especially all the mandates are gone. And now mm -hmm. we're just focusing on this Ukraine issue. You know, why, you know, why are all the gas prices going up, everything, you know what I mean? Russia dropped, made mm -hmm. them drop the mandates. Okay. Mm -hmm. Russia was very influential and making the whole world say, okay, stop. Because now, listen to what they're asking. 
Before we even get into anything, they're saying whoever wants to go fight in Russia, go ahead. Okay, mercenaries, everything, anybody wants to go, we'll fly you over. You can't do that and tell people they got to wear masks. One of the reasons why Russia was able to go to the battlefield and beat everybody to the battlefield because they weren't dealing with COVID and everybody else was. And when you get to the battlefield first, he who gets in position, strategic position first, has taken the battlefield. So that's the thing that that physically made everybody say, hold on, we, we can't deal with this and that at the same time. Now, let's talk about Russia. United States has a, a habit, and NATO and UN have a habit of vilifying anyone who stands against them. Okay? Saddam Hussein was, was this, this crazy individual person. But if you look at military history, the breakdown in Saddam in, in Iraq happened without any diplomatic breakdown. It was the one of the times mm. in, in history that the United States invaded a country without any diplomatic breakdown happening. Mm. Okay? They didn't, there was no diplomatic breakdown between Saddam and the United States. He even sent them a letter. I am invading Kuwait tomorrow. Do you have a problem with it? America sent the memo back. We do not get in border wars. You know, we do not interfere with border mm. countries. Then they invaded Iraq. Yeah. That's one. But they made him seem as though he was this insane individual whom they trained and who worked for them mm. and did the eight year wars against Iran all this time. But now all of a sudden he's an insane person. Mm. Same thing they did with uh, Gaddafi. They were able to say, oh, this Gaddafi. guy is crazy. He's, mm. yeah, you know, he's he's out to yeah. lunch. He's everything. But we noticed that each one of these individuals yeah. was attacked mm. with the fullest extent that they could attack the moment they decided to change their the money system mm, as it is today. Yeah. When Saddam Hussein wanted, was, when they're starving him, Okay, mm. they're starving his people. They have all these sanctions on him. They're not allowing him to sell his oil. He says, "I'm going to give it away, and I'm going to take the money. I'm going to give it away for medical, for, for medicine. I'm going to give mm. my oil away for medicine." It's what Saddam said, and mm. I'm going to take every U.S. dollar and trade it for euro. When he yes. said that, then the United States Marine Corps went in and they did two things. They killed. Usay, Kusay, his sons, because they had they were connecting the money and they got all those U.S. dollars out of there. OK, and people have to realize 70 percent of all the U.S. dollars are outside of the United States, not inside mm. the United States. Yes. Okay? And that's because they're the petrodollar. OK, mm. because you can yes. only buy oil in by U.S. dollars. That was, and it's not a law. It's what they've just been doing, okay? Because Saudi mm. did it. Yeah, since the OPEC crisis, right? Yeah. The oil, the oil producing, exporting countries, which is the term for OPEC, have yeah. been selling it with in dollars, but yes. they're not forced to. It's not a rule that they have to stick to. So all those countries, yes. this makes the demand for the U.S. dollar high, which keeps the United States mm. economy high because the demand for their mm. their their product is the dollar okay yes because they moved off of the gold standard correct Sheikh? that's that's how they prop they, up their dollars they moved off the gold standard and it's oil that's popping it up they're on an oil standard yeah. 
and, and it's selling the yeah. oil for that so that the worth of the dollar is based on that oil. Even though they know yeah. that you do not need oil as much as they, they say that you do. You can do almost everything mm. now off of water and not oil. Mm. Even run your vehicle. Okay? In a very effective mm. way. But because it makes them money, they focus on that. But that's a whole different subject. Right now, let's talk about the dollar. So they wanted to sell that dollar, Iraq. I mean, wanted to sell his dollars and turn it to euro. When they said that, he went in there, they took the dollars, okay? And they assassinated so-and-so. They had him murdered, okay? Same thing, Gaddafi. He said, I'm tired of this in slavery. I'm going to take this money. And he has, remember, Libya, people have to realize, has more gold than all of Europe put together. Gaddafi mm. was considered one of the richest men in the world. Okay? Mm. I think he was one of the 10 richest people in the world because of the amount of gold in Libya, not the oil. So what did they do? They gave the oil to the people to fight for because that's what they're, that's the Houdini, right? And so they let the different groups fight over that and they went to the South and they started mining all that oil and they still, I'm sorry, mining all that gold so they could get that out of, that's one of the things the United States is still stealing out of Libya, taking it and getting that gold out of there, right? That's why they keep the conflict there. But they killed Gaddafi and they did not want to take him to the world court. That's why they had to shoot him before they took him to court because he was not a terrorist. He hadn't violated any of those international wars rules. They couldn't take him to The Hague and none of those things would have worked because he hadn't done anything that was violent that was violating. They may not like his policies, mm. but what crime did he commit? He did. They didn't make him pay, though. Remember, there was that. Do you, do you remember that bombing? I think um, that air, airline bombing that occurred, and they they just they made him pay like an exorbitant amount of money uh, to compensate, like you know, everyone you know for that uh, based on whatever links that they had established. And and, and, and they yeah. paid, but but the point is, they yeah. they he there was nothing standing. There was no open crimes against him. Yeah. You get my point? That if, when we look mm. at it, there's nothing they could say this man did that deserved for him to get murdered as a leader of his own country. Even if you say, well, I don't like his politics. What don't you like about his politics? What did Gaddafi promote that was bad politics for his people? You know, he wasn't harboring any. There were no terrorists in his country. Okay. There was no one saying, okay, he's, he's harboring terrorists or none of that. Things like he wasn't on, he wasn't on any of those lists and things like that. He was promoting to sell his or to promote his money on the gold standard. Why? Because he got gold. So he was going to put mm. it on a gold standard and not only just put it there, he was going to distribute it as gold in gold. And that would have crushed the American system because the American system has dollars, but only the singular dollar is worth anything. When you look mm. at the dollar, anybody who looks at the dollar, We'll say the United States dollar has a stamp on there that says this particular dollar bill is promise, has a promissory note with the actual silver or gold equivalent in this bank, okay, in this holding. The $5 doesn't say that, the $10 doesn't say that, the 20, the 50, the 100, nor the 500. All the rest of those are what we call deficit spending, meaning we are printing something that we don't have the money for. We're not promising you anything from this. Okay? Mm. 
Does that make But if you ask for it, we'll send our military in and kill you. Okay? So that's what the situation is with those countries. Now, Russia is saying, look, and this is the issue with Russia. There's always been the North Atlantic Trade Organization, which, if you understand war, the treaty is written after the war to determine who will buy from who, who will have imports and who will have exports. That's what the whole battle is about, trade, okay? I'm going to get your stuff for, for free or little to nothing and sell it back to you for a higher price. Those of us who live in countries that have been colonized understand that. They take the raw materials and they sell it back to you, okay? Or they don't give you anything for it. Right. So that's what the war is all about. So now the North Atlantic Trade Organization is, is, is in actuality a military organization that has military prop, you know, promise to support each other militarily. And they are aggressive and they push their trade on other countries and try to pull them in. And this is the problem Russia has had. Russia has drawn a line with NATO and told them that 20 years ago. Look, 30 years ago, if you want to go back. If you're going to go back to World War I and II, Germany invaded, invaded Russia. Russia didn't invade Germany, okay? In fact, you know, Ukraine and those guys can't really talk because Russia invaded Ukraine and saved the Jews, okay, from the Nazis. It's always been aggression into Russia, not Russia aggressing towards those European countries. It's aggressed to the Muslim countries, but not to the European countries. It always drew the line saying, if you cross this line, we will invade you. So they told the, 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 the Western countries, United States specifically, if you push this line and come across this line, we will fight you. And they're using Kennedy as the banner, when, when the Russians were supporting Cuba and they had the same politics, okay? And Russia wanted to put, you know, missiles in Cuba. Kennedy said, no, we will bomb you. We will set the, the atomic bomb if, go to nuclear, if you put your weapons in our backyard. Russia backed down and said, okay, now America wants to do the same thing in Ukraine. Now America, and they've already found weapons of mass destruction by the United States and, you know, the bubonic plague factories in Ukraine being run by the United States, okay? In Ukraine, in Russia's backyard, Russian Putin has said it. We have no place to retreat to, okay? We've told you, don't cross this line. And every time their policy has been that, what happened with Clinton? They invaded Georgia. What happened with uh, Obama? They invaded Crimea. What happened with, uh, uh, what's the name? Trump, nothing. Why? Because Trump didn't bother Russia. He's the only president in the last 20 years, you know, who has not, who didn't take the policy to infringe upon Russia. He saw China as a problem because he rightfully said, say what you want about Trump, but he's straight up. He said, look, we can trust Russia. They won't do anything as long as they're not, their policy is not to come westward, okay? As long as we don't cross that line. But we can't trust China, he said. So he started beating up on China. Russia didn't move. And now Biden's in, what do they do? They, they promote and push Ukraine. 
So, of course, what is Russia going to do? What they've traditionally done, mm. they invaded. Now, the world thought America's policies are untouchable. They can say whatever they want, do what they want, and everybody has to say, harder, harder. No, the world is not like that. There are different spheres mm. of influence. And the American mindset or the Western mindset is that what this little bitty Western Europe says and in this little bitty country, the United States, in comparison to the other countries in the world, has major say. That's not the fact. And, and the lines of the wars of World War I and II have been redrawn. Turkey, Germany, Japan are still strategic military alliance right now. They just redid their, mm -hmm. their treaty to be military protectors of each other, same as they were in World War I and II. Same exact agreement, okay? Nothing has changed but the date, okay? Russia and China are in, in cahoots with each other again. And Russia is in the righteous position. Sheikh, what do you make of, like, um, some of the hypocrisy we're seeing um, with, like, the whole refugee crisis out of Ukraine? You know, you see all these... Ukrainians fleeing I know what you're and they're going about. to like pulled in and all these different Eastern European countries and they're yes, being uh, welcomed with open arms and they're saying, Oh, you know, come and uh, you know, commentators on TV are saying it's so sad to see, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed people, white skinned. It looks like they look like us. It's not like they're coming from an uncivilized country and there's no caps on those refugees. They're opening them with welcome open arms and then when Muslims were fleeing war-torn, you know, countries and problems created, you know, by, you know, most of it from Western intervention, uh, it be, it was like the worst issue in the world. Like, oh, we need to, you had all these uh, pro-fascist movements come out saying literally like political parties where their main uh, framework was anti-immigration. You know what I mean? So what do you make of like this that. hypocrisy we're, we're seeing like open, just like open hypocrisy, uh, you know, in Western media? You know, it, it, yeah. it's not hypocrisy. I think that the people, the, the, the colored people, the browns and the non-white people need to wake up and smell a the coffee. They're not being hypocrites. They've mm -hmm. never said they liked you. You and me and all the people like us, we are sniffing up their backside. They're not sniffing up ours. They've never liked us. They've never claimed to like us. They've allowed us to come to their country for their benefit. We the ones that mm. think that and want to turn their rendition and version around like they're these great people. They have said what they've always said. We don't like you mm. people. You people are less than us. And they, they've never put a cap on it. So I don't see any hypocrisy. I think that these, the, 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 Asian, Central Asian people, the African people, and the Far East Asian people need to wake up and recognize and stop pretending that these people mm. have, a, in general, not an individual, we're talking about in general, they have a racist-based mm. system, okay, where we mm. are, you know, vying for their attention and their, you know, being in their countries and they're allowing us like stepchildren and poor stepchildren at that. Okay. Why do so many Muslims, do you think, feel become like, like enamored with that? Like, you know, like in terms of like their societies, because yeah, they're more materially advanced, maybe technologically advanced, but some of the, so many of them come say, Hey, uh, because they come from, 
some countries that have a level of corruption, they may not be so materially advanced, they can come to these countries and quote-unquote live uh, or at least try to play for the American dream. Uh, why do you think so many people get like caught up in this okie doke? You know what I mean? They just, uh, they think this is the, this is like the shining light and example of human rights. Um, and it's so apparent, right? Yeah. Come on, say it like it is. They yeah. think this is Jannah. Why do you think so many Muslims are like, they think like this, they operate on that paradigm? Because they're free to do whatever they want to do here in the West. Mm. And they may not be as free to do that, what they want to do in the other lands. It's easy to ignore your problems when you're in someone else's home, okay? To come back to India, to go back to, you know, Ethiopia, to go back to any of our countries and have to deal with our people after our countries have been blown up by the, the NATO countries, you know, and depleted and have to start all over and building that the infrastructure and deal with the corruption and those things that have been a result of them. I like what that Indian scholar, he said, you know, don't tell the West, don't tell me my history. Okay. Don't tell me India has to be on the side of Russia. Okay. When every time we've done something, Russia came to their aid in the United States, put embargoes and did different things against them. So he was clarifying, you know, not that I agree with all his political moves, but I agree with his stance that he should be for him, okay, and not be for someone else. And no one else has the moral, or the United States that have a moral stance to talk about what some, how bad it is in, in, uh, in Ukraine when they did the same thing to Iraq. There was no UN mm. sanction to go into Iraq. That was in violation. There's no UN sanction to go into Philistine. That's in violation, but no one says anything. No embargoes have been put on Israel. No embargoes were put on the United States. No sanctions and all these other things. You get my point? So I think that the clarity has to be in stop listening and listen clearly and watch. Their system has never changed, okay? What they allow to do to you, they're not going to like it when they do it to each other, and they're not going to shy away from it and hide away from it as they haven't done here. What we need to start saying is, you know, now that it's from the horse's mouth, what are you going to say now? When are you going? Because now the reality is there. There's an old Swahili statement that says you cannot wake a person up who's only pretending to be asleep. We want to pretend like these people are our friends so that we can stay here and be the, the whatever we think we are. But in reality, we are not doing anything for ourselves. Our quality of life is not the same. You know, the type of stress they put on us due to us having to deal with racism. We always have to be double qualified in order to get anywhere. OK, and others fail upwards. We fail out. OK, any any type of discrepancy. You know, so we need to, I think, face our real problems. And, and you said the advancement in technology in the West. Most of the people who are advancing these technologies in the West are immigrants. The immigrants yeah. are the ones who are the best in STEM programs. OK, the science and technology, you know, these types of things, right? Electronics and math. Not the American white man or the American black man or the Canadian white man. No, 
not them at all. The immigrant population is the one that's bringing these. So why don't they take it back home? Because we don't want to start off at zero again. That's the point. We don't want to do the hard work. We got used to the microwave. And so we want to the success today, and we don't want to work for it for our children's future. We want what we have to do. And how many people from amongst the Muslim youth, okay, how many families are losing their children to kuf? How many calls I get about from people talking about their children are now homosexual or that they they don't relate as a male anymore. I'm like this. And how many tell when I'm Buddhist and this type of thing? We see this every, and when I was in North Carolina, at least once a month. A child left Islam, mm. teenager, and sometimes not for just blatant non-religiousness, but they chose Buddhism or they chose Christianity. Showing they still have an intent to try to something Islamic, but Islam hasn't something Islamic, something spiritual. But Islam didn't fulfill that for them. Why is Islam mm. deficient? No, our practices. You know, the parents mm. they want to say, oh, "I want my child to be Muslim." Well, your child can't be Muslim if you ain't. I mean, I'm not putting you out of mm. you, but those parents out of Islam. But if your practice is just plastic, you're just going through the motion, then your child is just going through the motion. Okay? If there's a problem, there's a program in every mosque and Islamic center for the children, but no program for the fathers. You know, <laughs> where the fathers, yeah. the men come yeah. together and they're actually learning and they're being challenged, meaning questioned and having to fill out tests and yeah. show that they're involved in it no yeah you know sheikh it's funny it's funny you say that it's it's funny you say that because um you know i experienced that also similarly like people will come bring their children to me after like a lecture or a, a talk or a haraka and look bring up and say oh you know can you explain to my child this or you know i'm having a problem with this and usually the first thing i say is I say, you know, the first thing you have to do, the very, very first thing you have to do is you have to start with yourself. Because if I tell him something and there's no consistency in the home and, you know, you can't like, uh, you know, set that tone for him to carry that with him, right? Then it's just, it's just literally going to evaporate. I'll give him a dosage right now, but it's just going to evaporate as soon as he gets home. And as soon as I say, hey, you got to start with yourself first, and you got to like, you know, because everyone's like, oh, this this speaker is good for the youth or this sheikh is good for the youth. What about you? <laughs> you know what I mean? You need to, you, he needs to be good for you, too. You know what I mean? So so anytime I tell them, like, you got to start with yourself, then their their demeanor changes. It becomes kind of like, uh, OK, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Just walk away. But any because anytime you kind of challenge, hey, we got to start with ourselves. And it's the thing they, they tell you, yeah. I'm working. I'm too busy at work. That's what yeah. they say. I'm, I'm busy working. Yeah. yeah. Providing yeah. for yeah. what? For your own destruction? Yeah. This statement this guy said, he says, no one ever went to the grave saying, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. Nobody went to yeah. the grave saying, yeah. I wish I would have spent yeah. more time at work. Mm. You know? So, you know, this yeah. mentality that we find with uh, those types of parents is their focus is wrong. OK, mm -hmm. and they want someone else to do the job for them and they want someone else to raise their child. And they're not taking into consideration what that education system is like, which has led mm -hmm. them to where we are right now. I just pulling it back to to Russia, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, Russia has now shown the world that it's not as 
black and white as they think. It's not all one-sided. There are you know, mm. people who are siding with Russia and uh, what do you call it? That they are not going to stop and that America really can't do anything about it. And nor does America want to. That's what Ukraine is seeing mm. now. Ukraine mm. is seeing that the United States just played them because you know what? The sanctions they put on uh, Russia does not include the oil that Russia sends to the United States. Okay. Yes. Russia is the third largest supplier of oil to the United States. Google it. Okay. Yeah. It's the third right. largest supplier of oil to the United States. And its oil is exempt from the sanctions. Okay. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> you know, you, we're going to stop them from serving who? From providing it to Europe. So then what does Europe have to do? Get it from the United mm. States. The United States mm. fracking company is the oil fracking company. You know, fracking is in Canada big time. It's a harder way to get oil. Yeah, well, I think, what's his name? Warren Buffett is, is a major investor in that. His company started, went down two points when they started to look for resolution in Ukraine. And then three points the next day when it looked like the resolution, like they were going to sue, sue for peace. Okay? So that tells you. They always say, watch the money, right? So they're making mm. money. The United States is making money off of this conflict, right? Mm. Europe is not making no money of it. If a war breaks out, Germany's going to have to deal with them, okay? They, those countries, traditionally, Germany and, 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 and Russia have had a great relationship. Most of the SARS of, of, of Russia were the, the the wives came from Germany. Mm. Isn't there also a pipeline that that Nord Stream pipeline uh, from Russia to Germany? Like there was a Merkel's signed that contract not too long ago, right? Like they're getting a significant amount of their oil from Russia. United yeah. States has told them there was a hundred European countries. I'm sorry, a hundred European companies involved mm. in this massive deal. Okay. And Biden comes out and says, I'm going to kill that deal. Okay. But don't worry. We'll help you out with our oil on this side, which basically says these, and this is not a government deal. This is a, these companies are independent companies. These are civilian companies. Okay. hundred European companies in European. And now he's saying, let's kill that deal, but I'll give you the money. So dead you. We're still making money. So that's basically the policy that's going on. The United States is pushing its policy on Europe. Europe has to make a choice. You want to feed the United States or you want to feed yourself. Okay. Mm. And we know fracking is worse on the environment than the pure oil that the Russians, they're pulling it out of the ground. So it's a better quality too, and a lower price. Look at the nearness and all other things like that. So this is what's going on right now. The Europeans have to see for themselves, you know, and of course, the United States is not going to intervene, not openly. Mm. They can't. Ukraine is not a, a NATO country. They're not part of that military group, which has a treaty of fighting together. Okay. Mm. So, you know, uh, when we look at this, why is this good for the Muslims? Because if there was no other choice, if there's a monopoly on all or in this in this type of world, and only one group of people had a say, then all the rest of us 
will be at the, 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 the bay, meaning we'll be, be at, you know, the servitude of that violent. The fact that there is mm. another group and other groups as well challenging that and being having an equal sway over the planet allows for more freedoms, more choices. Okay? And that's why it's good for the believers. All right, Sheikh. So one of the... Something that I'm picking up on uh, from everything that you're saying is that perhaps Muslims, the way that we can stay grounded and the way that we can maintain our own interests without those interests being manipulated is if um, we appreciate that Islam and by extension Muslims uh, are morally consistent and should be morally consistent. Because, you know, for example, when we look at... um, you know, some Muslims, they're like saying, oh, yeah, this is great. Russia is, uh, you know, checking the, you know, these, these, some of these Western countries. But then, you know, at the same time, uh, Russia's inv- invasion of Afghanistan, they're, you know, things in Syria, Shishan. So, see, they've given Muslims a lot of hard times. Similarly, Western countries, we see the hypocrisy. Uh, every, uh, a hijabi is like a greater threat than actual criminals, you know, the way that they treat, you know, muhajibat and, you know, this, many of these European countries, or, you know, the way that they're so condescending towards um, our values and our principles and, and things like that. So perhaps, Sheikh, what I'm getting from you is that the Muslim community should appreciate that we are literally the only, like, maybe we are the only nation on the face of the earth that has the capability to be morally consistent because we see that all these other nations and these other groups, they're morally selective. You know, for, for example, you can appreciate, the reason why I say this is that you can appreciate somebody who has hatred for Muslims in their heart when they stand up for something that you feel is their human right, you can appreciate that stance, right? Whereas, um, you know, some uh, other people, right? The people like th- that are opposed, like another group of kuffar that are opposed to them, they won't even like acknowledge them as being humans or dealing with them in a humanistic way. Like if they disagree with, with them, they don't believe even they should have any basic, almost like human dignity or, uh, you know, rights or, you know, things, you know, th- things similar to that. Whereas you can look at somebody who may be your enemy and appreciate when they do something good or when they're on the haq. And you can look at our own people and you can call out if they're doing something wrong. And what I see is that that's morally consistent. That's the only thing that can really, I would just be able to describe it in, in two words, is that there is in Islam moral consistency. And perhaps that's what we should try to, that will ground us that will, you know, keep us uh, from, you know, being played, you know, as if we're in a pinball machine from one side to the next. You know, what are what are your thoughts on that, Sheikh? Okay, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. I like the last thing you said, you know, how do we keep mm-hmm. ourselves from being in a pinball machine, being, you know, bounced around, basically persuading, you know, victims of, you know, a preconceived plot to persuade us in one way or another. So they show us a child in that has flies on his face and we feel, you know, the, the, the urge to give. And so we give to a company 
who doesn't give that to that people. We don't even look to see how much, what percentage of the money you donate to was so-and-so international or some other group, what percentage of that goes to the, the actual victims of that they showed on, on TV or in their advertisement and that these people are actually making money. I mean, I've done some research on that and a very small percentage actually goes to those people. But we are being persuaded and we keep allowing ourselves to be persuaded. That is the problem. We can no longer pretend like we should believe these other people. That's what the first thing we have to do. Allah tells us, That's how we can keep ourselves from being at a pinball. Go back to the Quran and accept that. Why are we continually accepting everything they say? Okay, when we look at Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah says, you know, says, don't repeat. And when you look at the tafsir, it says, oh, you believe, don't say ra'ina. Well, say instead, you know, unzurna and listen up. But then you say, but what does that have to do with anything? You read the tafsir, it says, don't repeat the statements of the kufar. Don't imitate them in their stances. Research your own self. So if you want to be balanced, if you don't want to be in that pinball machine, if you don't want to be a victim of persuasion, recognize when has ISIS, I said this before, when with, with COVID, name one time, name one time where the, 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 the quote unquote white West has done anything medically for Africa. Okay. Hmm. Meaning that was truthful. We've always been the victims of their Frankensteinian schemes, right? They've always been say, doing different things and poisoning us. They even in the United States, they we have the syphilis. They let us have syphilis for thirty years just to see what the results would be. You get my point? We can't pretend like these people have it for our good interests. Polio in Nigeria and different places where they just said they're banning these peoples with their vaccine. 100,000 African women in East Africa were sterilized against their will on the, the, the guise of a vaccine. Okay? And we say, oh, we should trust these people? No, where? Name one time they've done something good for us. When they told us we were going, you know, when? I don't want to be facetious. So if we don't have anything in our history like that, and rather what we have, if you could just YouTube all the police beating the mess out of people left and right and being racist left and right, we have all these different things, then that should cause us to question, okay, what they say, what they tell us. Mm -hmm. And then how do we find out what's the truth? That's the second part of the solution. First, Doubt them, as Allah tells you to doubt them. Second, don't repeat what they say, okay? Which Allah tells you, oh, you believe, don't repeat what they say. And all you have to do is read Ibn Kathir. It's in Surah Al-Baqarah. Don't imitate their statements. Don't say what they say. Don't repeat them, okay? Research what they say in Surah Al-Hujarat. If they bring you any news, then research it. How do you research? The third, the third step then becomes listen to everybody else's version of the facts. Okay, mm. now you have to put the situation in context. 
What does Russia have to say about Ukraine? Listen to them. Listen to them. Well, they blocked, I don't know if you're aware, if, if this is the case in Africa, they blocked all uh, their social media <laughs> channels. Like, you can't get any, you can't get any news from their perspective at, at all here right now. And that tells you something. That's what we talked about earlier. Dissent has been covered. No one is allowed to, to descend anymore, right? That's what that, you know, what's a guy from, from Detroit said? The Fahrenheit 911. There was actually a book. Oh, yeah. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, Michael Moore, I think, yeah. Yeah, the, no, but the original book. Yeah. The original book was okay. Fahrenheit something something as well. If you read the original okay. book that he is making a joke from, okay? Mm. He's being, the original book was like that. You get my point? So now dissent, because it's not like that here in Africa, okay? We hear everything Russia is saying. We hear everything that India is saying. We hear what Brazil is saying. All these people are supporting Russia. You know, I was saying, I wrote down here, not only do you have to hear what the other guy's version is and all the other people involved, what their version is. Did you know, I don't, I guess they're not saying in the United States, but the United States is backing a Nazi group in Ukraine. Okay. Yeah. There's, I see a little bit of that online on Twitter. Yeah. Some people have shown like uh, they, they have these pictures of Ukrainian soldiers that they're promoting on social media here in, in the West. And they have like this symbol, right? Like this, um, it's like on a black patch. It's a new wave swastika. It's like a Nazi symbol. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is. It's, it's like a, a it's, it's a yellow. It's like a Nazi a black, symbol. Yeah. Black with yeah. yellow background. It's a, a swastika. They've been around for for a couple of years. The United States been backing them, and they've been complaining about it for like five years online. So if you look on YouTube, on like I think gratis, you look at some of the Indian stations who've been um, complaining about it. If you can't find it from Russia, and they'll give you a, a lot more breakdown of it. Okay, these people are straight up Nazis. Okay. And that's who the United States is backing. Okay. That's who they're backing. So, you know, you have to put things in context and you have to listen to their rhetoric. Okay. Even those Nazis, what they're saying, they're saying they are the white solution. That's what they're saying. And that not only do they want to fight Russia, but they want to spread this Nazi all throughout the remaining part of Russia. I'm not Russia, remaining part of Europe like they did before. Okay, so they want to continue what they left off with the Nazi thing previous. Okay, so uh, people again have to look at the history and understand that a lot of the uh, special uh, Nazi groups during Germany were from Poland and different places like that and not actually, not, not actual Germans those surrounding Serbians and those different people who wanted to do extra, okay? And they were the ones that were part of those groups. And they're some of the same people who are uh, in line with this mentality that the United States is supporting militarily and financially and also with propaganda support. So you want to support that? Think about it. You can't hear. Once, once someone tells you, don't listen to the other guy, don't hear his version or they cut it off on you. You should know something's wrong. Because if, if I, I don't have enough sense to listen and know he's saying something wrong, why don't you want me to hear him? Okay, so 
you know, people in the West need to think about that. And if you can't, then you should try to find it through other routes. You have to be creative. Like I said, go through India, go through Brazil, go through other countries, learn other languages so that you can hear what is Turkey saying, okay? Turkey has said a lot of things that if you listen to and how they've brokered different deals in that regard. What, you know, this other thing people say, well, you know, Russia did some bad things. They, they went against the Muslims. Didn't the Romans go against the Muslims? Didn't the Romans go against them? That's who Jafar and those people went to go fight. The Muslims fought against the Romans, yet we still have a surah in support of them, right? Because a warrior doesn't mix issues, like you said, okay? In this instance, if they're right, we say he's right. We don't hold the grudge because he was wrong yesterday. If he's right now, we say this is correct, okay? We don't negate the correctness because we don't like the individual. Okay, and, and you know, Sheikh, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily um, an issue of like we have to support somebody because the Muslim can also just remain silent, and there's so much um, issues within our own community that require support. Because now that this is taken the front page, you know, Israel is even more emboldened. In, in taking over territories and punishing the Palestinians. In India, we were just talking before uh, of what uh, they're doing with the Muslim population, and they're even becoming even more emboldened because everyone's attention is uh, on Ukraine and Russia. So for me, it's like, at the end of the day, that's like my number one most, like that is my greatest concern because I know the suffering that Muslims have been going that they've been going through before this latest event to take the front page and what's happening now especially as people take advantage of everyone's attention being uh put on uh you know ukraine and russia you know so i think at the same time like i 100 percent agree with you that we need to take like information from all sides and make our own assessment and not have it like distilled for us you know pre-packaged for us and we don't thing for ourselves um but also at the same time like when there's such an emphasis of like hey you got to pick a camp or be part sometimes like hey you know what you guys do your thing i have some more important issues i gotta attend to because my own people are suffering you know what i mean okay see the thing that i'm talking about here that's why i mentioned surat al-rum the muslims mm. supported the romans but how did they support did they send weapons right they didn't send mm. weapons no. they didn't do that yeah. but they had good hopes for them Okay, they they had their 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 uh, it, motivation, hopes and duas for the Romans. Okay, that's what I'm talking about when I'm mentioning yeah. support. Because, like you said, you have to have some stance. You cannot say, "Well, I'm going to be in a bubble and I'm just going to ignore what's going on." No, you have to realize what's in is what is this good for me or not whether you say it to the neighbor or you say it to your job people or not but for mm. you yourself you have to know mm. on where do i stand on this issue okay like for instance i was going to mention that and i agree with you first and foremost that this issue in in why does china want to support russia china wants to support russia for a number of reasons one of them is because China wants to do the same thing to Taiwan. Okay, they want to invade and take Taiwan back. Yeah, you know, and they want yeah. to have influence. They want to have their own sphere of influence over there. In reality, the United States wants Russia to win. 
ultimately, but just after a long drawn out thing. Why? Because when Russia wins, what's going to be the takeaway? The takeaway is going to be every strong country has the right to oppress any of the smaller or weaker countries in his region, which will allow the United States the reign that they have over the Western Hemisphere and Latin America. And will no one be able to say anything to them because, hey, Russia was allowed to do their thing. China will say, we can do what we want to. India can say, and Myanmar and those countries can say, well, we're going to do what we want to do to the people in our regions. Israel will say, well, we're going to, and everybody's going to be happy. So we have to look long term where this is going. America wants them to win, just not today. Okay? And they're supporting them. And if who's sending all this wheat to feed Russia? United States. They're not embargoing. A, the, the sanctions are not on their foodstuffs. And it's not on their oil that they're getting. So, you know, of course, I agree with you. We have more important things to make. To, to Because, you know, there's Muslims in Ukraine and there's Muslims on the Russian side, too, you know. Yeah, of course. I, I was going to say that yeah. those fish that we have to fry are connected to this issue. Okay, they are they're still connected to the same issue because the world is, is, is a closed environment, you know, and, and everything that happens is affecting the, the, the other thing around me. And I was going to and that was the last thing I was going to say that, you know, even though Russia had the problems with Shishan and those things, Shishan is on their side. The, the, the southern Russian states, the Muslims are with the Russians. OK, does that make sense? Because for financial yeah. and for regional influence. They don't want the Americans over there. They know that first now it's Ukraine. First, we ask you to join NATO. Then if you don't join NATO, we attack you. Okay. So if they're allowed to take Ukraine, then all those other, you know, smaller countries at the end are now going to be, you know, open to this NATO military organization and may be forced to come in. So they have to choose which poison they want better. You know, the lesser of the two evils for them. And so you find, even though they fought those same people, they're now siding with them. Why? Because one of the rules of warrior school is a warrior doesn't mix issues. Okay? I may not be your friend, but right now I'm not your enemy. Okay? In this particular issue, we can go together. And that's what the Muslims have to be able to it's not be emotional about military and financial and strategic decisions okay mm. whether that person is your friend or not means nothing when it comes down to the bottom line of what are we going to do right now does that make sense mm. i'm not going to ask you the boat is thinking what your religion is i'm just going to help you get out of the water yeah. we're going to help to each other yeah well, one thing as well sheikh uh, i i feel with muslims uh, they sometimes uh you know, overlook, um, they might even disregard to uh, an extent this, the fact that you, we actually at all times need Hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, you, your, your, our brains are limited. Our abilities are limited. Even how you were talking before with medicine and science. One thing that I was trying to remind, you know, the brothers and sisters was that, listen, at the end of the day, you could have people on two different issues but if both of these people have different opinions on something, see on a medicine, right? Even uh, I say one person says this medicine is good, one person's not. But I would say what's more important than that is if both of these people, at the end of the day, they're sincerely turning to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala 
and they understand in their heart, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is healing them. This medicine may or may not be the means, even if it's scientifically proven to be a cure. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't allow it to heal you, it won't heal you. You know, so we have to appreciate and we need to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for example, in this issue with Muslims, maybe uh, not having access to a lot of the information, information is being controlled. At least they can make dua maybe to, they, they should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say, you know, Allah, guide me to what the truth is and, and help the oppressed people, especially our brothers and sisters who are suffering, protect them. You know what I mean? At least make those duas rather than. Uh, having a strong opinion based on rhetoric. You know what I mean? What do you think, Shay? What I, what, I, what I was saying, when I said about Surah Al-Rum, yeah. what do we yeah. see? We see, no, the only support we see is, is dua. And, and like you said, the mm -hmm. Qadr of Allah. We have to be optimistic that the end is, is, is going to be good for us. Okay? And make dua for the end to be good for us. Okay, and that Allah, you know, Allah tells us, Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he, he tells us the dua, Yani, Astaghfirullah al-Azim. Yani, at the end of the dua is, and make the end of this better for us. And I forget the beginning portion of it at this time, but uh, we should be optimistic in making dua. And we recognize, like you said, that everything is in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that it's not the end of the world. Okay? That's this is thing. The, the thing that they're that's trying to be promoted is this fear, despair, depression. And these things the Muslim shouldn't be filling with his filled his life in that regard. Okay. Because isn't it true? Like one of the ways that you can control people is through those means: fear, despair, and depression. Isn't that true? People are more easily manipulated when they can feel that. There are steps one to the other. Fear breeds to despair. Despair breeds, you know, depression. Okay. And depression is like we say, it's a gravity increasing thing where people can't even stand up because they feel literally pressure from that. That's why mm. you see children stomping, walking because they don't like something. Yeah. Now they got that. Where, you know, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, the believer is constantly making dua and tawakkal ala Allah, trusting that at the end of it, Allah is going to turn the end to make good come at the end of this, make it good come at the end. And we can constantly make dua for that, especially if you can't get the information, nor do you have to. Like, like you said, it doesn't have to be, you know, your job to research everything they said. What I'm saying is don't believe everything they said. Okay? Yeah. Make dua and focus on what will you know, benefit you and, and your side and, and work proactively towards that and constantly to Allah and make dua. I'm glad you mm. brought it back to that because that is the bottom line. To Allah with your dua. I, I feel the way that we are manipulated, uh, Allah SWT already reveals in the Quran because many of the, the, the news outlets or the information that we are fed it's not a hundred percent false. You know what I mean? It's truth mixed with falsehood. And Allah SWT talks about it in the Quran. Like, you know, they mix truth with falsehood, you know? And so it's like, yeah, but that's true though. You know what I mean? Allah says, Allah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so when, when, when you're trying to decipher what is the truth, what throws people off, what people should appreciate 
is that they're not saying everything is like 100% like false. Oh, the sky is green and you know they're 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 they're, they're boiling babies. No, they tell you, they tell you something the way it becomes plausible is they tell you like 99 you know how like the you know the 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 soothsayers how how Rasul sallallahu describes the hadith that they mix truth with falsehood and then this is how they predict the future. So uh or, yes. or they tell you you know things about you. I feel this is what they do, subhanAllah, with uh, propaganda, is they take a whole bunch of things that's true. No, both sides would maybe admit it's true. But then the falsehood that they insert is like specific for their agenda. You know what I mean? Yeah, the angle that they present it and what they don't tell mm. you. Okay, that, that's that's how I, I wrap it up. They give it from one angle yeah. and then from another angle, they just don't tell you. Like, like they don't tell you there are exceptions to the sanctions. They don't, they don't mention that, you know? So you don't think, if you don't know better, that there are exceptions, you know? Mm. Uh, Alhamdulillah, I remember when I was in, uh, there's a school that we go to, it's called Survival Evasion Resistance Escape. And it's very psychological. One of the things they do is they make you listen to the propaganda of another country. And so at that time, it was Russia. And the Russian news was describing a lady being raped in broad daylight in the United States, New York, and everybody was walking by, ignoring it. I said, that has to be a lie. Okay, we're talking, building mm. on what you said. Cannot be true. Mm. And then I looked it up and I found out that a lady was raped during the daytime in New York City in an alleyway. Okay, and you know the alleyways in New York are deep, so she's in the alleyway. Yes. And she said she reports that she could see people walking by, and she couldn't. They couldn't see because the alleys are building so tall; it gets dark in there, you know. And mm. so she's saying she was raped, and people walking by, and no one is noise, and no one could hear her anything. And she didn't scream because the guy's got a knife to her throat and everything like that. But she was making some type of noise, so it's true. It, from the way they presented it, it wasn't true. You get my point? Yeah. So they made it seem like it was right there on the middle of the corner, corner and Broadway and, and Fifth Avenue, you know, and uh, not that they could be together, but you get my point. They, they, it's right there and, and everybody's seeing it and no one's doing anything. When in actuality, that's how they present their, their propaganda. And we need to realize that, like you said, and the best thing that we can do is constantly make dua and ask Allah to... Uh, Make the haqqun haqqun, you know, make it clear to us, you know, and so and not let us be, you know, away. And so not the ladina and amda alayhim, alayhim really doesn't get any better than that. And it constantly yes. be optimistic and, 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 and constantly realize that these people are liars. And alhamdulillah, and focus on what would benefit us and don't get tired of doing that or twist it and let other people control our attention, you know. And, and not be sad only when they tell us to be sad and only happy when they tell mm. us to be happy. So may Allah make mm. it easy. Just to uh, switch gears here a little bit, uh, Sheikh, uh, because, uh, you know, you are in Africa, I want to get your assessment uh, being there because it seemed like, you know, alhamdulillah, like uh, initially um, 
you had a really good time in Turkey, but then you transitioned to Africa. I think maybe it's, you know, better opportunities for you as well from what I've heard uh, of what you've stated in the past. Uh, so what are some of the opportunities? Like what are, what's keeping you busy in Africa? What's, what are some of the opportunities you, you see in Africa to highlight? Cause you know, oftentimes we don't get, you know, the opportunities or the, uh, you know, ways that we can grow ourselves, you know, by uh, exploring different parts of the Muslim world and, you know, perhaps exploring the possibility of uh, contributing to the growth and development there, being a part of uh, society, those types of societies. So what has your experience been there and what are some of the opportunities um, you want to share with um, the rest of uh, our audience, inshallah? First of all, Turkey is an amazing and a beautiful place to live, okay? And anyone who wants to make hijrah, because that's what's going on. We made hijrah, okay? And initially we made hijrah to uh, Turkey. And hijrah is different than being a talib al-ilm, because my earlier years in the 90s, in those times, I was a talib al-ilm. So I'm traveling to different countries for knowledge, Okay? Not for hatred. Sometimes people get them mixed up together. But now I'm, I moved out to make hijrah, and I moved to Turkey. Turkey is Central Asia, okay. And so Turkey reminds me of like let's say like the United States of Asia, okay. You have Central Asians that look straight Chinese, okay, Mongolians, and then some look European because they're Euro Asian and stuff like that. So, you know, so you have all these people, and they have a real Pan Asian. You know, look and feel, and it's like that. I loved it. It was a, it's a beautiful place to make hijrah. It's not a third world country. It has more technology than the United States, more advanced. Okay, uh, the peace. You know, you said that Medina was the safest city in the world according to some census that they made. I believe it, but I think that Turkey would probably be up in the top three safe countries for women in the world. Okay. They're not, you're, the woman is not going to be bothered in Turkey, okay? And, and of course, you have major cities like Istanbul that may be an exception sometimes because those major cities are, are, are different. Paris, London, New York, you know, Toronto, you know, Azizbaba, those different, Cairo, you know, uh, these places, uh, the, what do you call it, Darbeda, you know, these places are going to be different, Dakar. But outside of that, is one of the safest places in the world, okay? I, I left Turkey and came to uh, Ethiopia. One of the reasons I came to Ethiopia and chose Ethiopia, number one, it's never been colonized. That's number one. It's never been, it's the only African country that has never been colonized. Number two, because the African Union is here and I wanted to contribute to the argument with the African Union. Uh, number three, well, it's not in this order, to be honest with you, you know, because we want to say the number one reason because it's Darul Hijratain. It's the land that the Prophet ﷺ said to go to, okay? Before, when you couldn't make Hijra to Medina you know, and out of Mecca, they went to here twice. And so it's revelation. It's a blessed land. And there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, leave the Turks alone as long as they leave you alone and leave the Habashi people alone as long as they leave you alone. So these two hadith make those two places very unique and they're very similar in how the societies are set up. 
So I wanted to come to this country to contribute to the bottom line in Africa. Do you get my point? You know, as an African yes. here, this, this is a really pan-African country. It's the second most diverse country in Africa with 88 different ethnic groups. Nigeria is the only wow. other country that it has 250 ethnic groups. Okay, up to, you know, in, in there. So it's the second most diverse. Everybody is here. And in Addis Ababa or Finfinni here, you know, you have so many, everybody's here, you know. <laughs> and this place is a huge city that has a very pluralistic feel, but it's the most religious country in the world. You have Christians that cover you know, with they have a white khimar mostly. It's see-through, but they wear a khimar, okay? I would say 80% of them wear khimar. The Christians, the Jews too, okay? And of course, the Muslims who wear a more fuller khimar. You wake up at four o'clock in the morning time, you hear the Christians out there chanting, doing their thing, and you hear the Muslims, okay? Depending on the time of the week. You know, when they when it's going on and things like that, people are fasting left and right, you know, because of their different days. You know, when when Ashura came, you know, the, the Christians were uh, were fasting as well. <laughs> so you have, you know, one of the benefits I get from being here is peace. OK, mm -hmm. sense of relaxation. A lack of when I was living in the United States, oh my goodness, you're always worried as a as a quote unquote black man if you're gonna get murdered by the police just by driving down the street. And that's a level of stress that can kill you. And it and it it has something to do with every decision you make. You know, you literally can't be out without an excuse. If you gotta get up and go out at nighttime, you better have an alibi. I used to keep receipts in my pocket or use my phone thing so they would document where I was because you could get picked up and say, well, you fit the description. If you don't have an alibi, you did it. And that's happened to enough people in that country. You know, so I mean, just getting out of there has given me 10 years longer in my face of life of less Stress. I can see it. I can see it. You saw what I said. As soon as I saw you, I said, Sheikh, man, subhanAllah, like, it looks like you look younger, you look brighter. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm very pleased, alhamdulillah. It, it would warm my heart to see you actually right now. Barakallah yeah. yeah. You hear the adhan? Yeah. You know, I'm just a reflection of you, brother. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. You're the sun, I'm the moon, okay? I get the, I get the reward from you. May Allah bless our character and beautify our character like he beautifies our externals. You know, but hearing the Adhan every day, five times a day, you hear the Adhan here. Okay, so now what am I doing here? We're opening up a school here. We Timbuktu has a home here, you know. So we're we're we're, we're starting because you know my, my Timbuktu seminary. We have that here. Also, we're building wells here. We we built a few. I'll send you some pictures of some of the wells that we're building. And these wells, yes. alhamdulillah, the smallest of them, you know, uh, feeds you know gives water to a hundred people. You know, we are helping building masajid. And everything like that. We went one place to build a well, and the people came out. The village people came out, 
And it's beautiful. This is the highlands of, of Ethiopia. So it's green and it's high. And they said, you guys came here to build us a well. We really thank you. We don't want to sound ungrateful. But we, we, would, we wouldn't mind walking an extra mile to get the water if you guys would help us build this, finish building this masjid so we can have a place that we can conjugate and walk us along. And I just, it just wow. broke my heart. SubhanAllah. They're willing to walk an extra mile, okay, just so they can have the masjid. And that was more important for them than the well. So Allah blessed us to get the money and we built the masjid and we're still building the masjid. Allah we got Allah the Allah. building up and, and this, the wall and everything. And we, we finished the well because we were, were there for the well. So we, that's finished. And we're still, we, we still have to do the floor and everything. But we at least we have the building. They're in there praying now. They have a place that they can pray. And they wanted it before Ramadan, you know, so they can have a place to gather for Salah. So those are the, the things. We also, you know, Ethiopia has a lot of, of poor people. So, and here it's such a big deal. You'll see children without clothing, literally ripped clothing and stuff like that. So we do what we can to provide clothing. And anyone who wants to help in that, they can you know, contact you and you can contact me and they can send us some clothes and we'll, we'll distribute those clothes out to uh, ch children, mainly children's clothes, you know, because once they become adults, they're able to find their own clothes. But a lot of children go around with literally rags on their bodies and tattered mm. clothing and things like that. And there's just no access uh, to other types of things. So we're, we're doing that as well. Some of my friends and teachers are out there. I want to try to connect you guys together, inshallah, because I know some people are doing some good work there too. And I think if we synergize some of our efforts, we can have a bigger impact, Definitely. you know? And um, I remember you. I remember you talking about um, in one of your other interviews that you had, when you talked about kind of uh, successful collaborations and you talked about how uh, the Brooklyn guys would team up with the Queens guys and Brooklyn was the muscle and Queens was the hustle. You know what I mean? And you guys right. kind of were able to, you know, have good collaboration. How can we get better collaboration in the Ummah? You know what I mean? I think we, if we collaborate more uh, on like the positive things, like, uh, like some of the projects you're working on uh, and we help each other out on things that we, it's just going to be pure benefit for people. You, you know, how can we do that? How can we be more open to doing that and make those connections happen? Inshallah. First thing we have to do is communicate with each other. Okay. Like you said, network that will build trust because we have to have trust. Third thing, if not in that particular order, but you know, we have to, accept leadership Not everybody wants to be the leader. And if it doesn't go my way, I'm going to take my football and I'm going home. You know, it's my way or the highway. We, we have to stop being these despot leaders, you know, and be able to be flexible. You know, it's like we disagree with the Kufar, but we find every excuse to continue to work with them. Right. We have to have mm, that same good point. You know, mentality when dealing with each other. I may disagree with you on two or three points, but I agree with you on seven points, you know, you know, so let's yeah. stick together. And, you know, and just because we don't like each other, I let's say I have a personal issue. Doesn't mean we can't cooperate with each other. I say we have a boardroom of people who don't like each other. Things work more smoothly. 
Because now you know that you have to come with your A game and present everything in a very professional way. And I'm going to look at every line, right? And then we're still going to do that. As opposed to when we're all friends and buddies, then we don't look at it. And then there's, there's, there's uh, malfeasance, you know, mismanagement and things like that because we put trust in, in a misguided in a mis, a misguided fashion, you know? So we have to stop making excuses to s- divide, and make every excuse to unite, okay? And understand that uniting on good is, is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. We have to cooperate on everything that's pushing towards righteousness, goodness, and promotion of, you know, the consciousness of Allah, the establishment of the sharia uh, of Allah, and putting forth good deeds for the hereafter. Alhamdulillah, So I think that, those are the things, you know, basically, if we run it back again, you know, we have to develop the communication, we have to develop the trust, and we have to have the, the decision to, no matter what, like it or don't like it, not to divide, to stay united mm. on that. Yeah, subhanAllah, I think that's beautiful, you know, the things that you kind of articulated because, you know, part of our iman, part of us being mu'mineen, is that we are ikhwa. We are like, there's a brotherhood and a real brotherhood isn't like a, a virtual one. Hey, yeah, you know, like, it's a, like we're meeting, we talk, we actually bring the hearts together, meet each other for the, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, as you mentioned, like when we're working on collaboratively on projects, then it's like, okay, iman, mu'min, but now what's the next step? Mahsin. Like there needs to be a hsan in there. It needs to like we gotta make sure, as you said, the numbers check out. We're not like, you know, just taking our brotherhood for you know for granted and it's just a casual thing when we're when we have people's trust in our care. You know what I mean? So I think you made two very good points that hey, we need to bring those hearts together. And then uh, anytime we do work on something where there is trust and responsibility involved. You have to do it at a level of ahsan. You can't dilly-dally and, and do things in a casual way. You have to do it in uh, a proper way where you're held accountable. We're going to say it professional, you know, professionality. Yes. Another thing we have to realize is that brothers, real brothers, from the same mother and father, you know, always argue and fight. They're always bumping heads and disagreeing in a realistic way. Right. They bump heads and they say the truth about all oh, you, this, this that, that. Oh, you know, they argue. But at the end of the day, they're still brothers. So mm-hmm. if we get yeah. together and we brainstorm and we argue and we disagree, we have to leave it on the table. OK, put it in that context and then still walk away as brothers. You know, and, and I think mm-hmm. that what will help keep that relationship is the, the the end result. If at the end of that, we still build the masjid, we still build wells, we still help the, 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 the indigent and the people who are impoverished, then we will walk away feeling so much better. It will be so much worth it, okay? And we can do it again and continue to do that. And that continually doing it will confirm the trust that we can continue to do it in this way, even though we may have some personality different difficulties with each other because even if you have a personality different you know that you can trust his numbers right you know he's going to do what he's going to say he's going to do you know or you know that person's going to call you to out when you're late 
He's not going to just say, oh, yeah, brother, I said I was going to be here at, at, at Duhur, but it's, it's now it's, it's Maghrib. No, that guy's going to call you to count and say, hey, man, you wasted my time. No, I don't appreciate that. You know? And then you, well, well brother, you where you was at when you making me wait three, four hours for you? You know? He's going to call you on that. And you shouldn't, you know, you should be, hey, I'm sorry. You don't have a phone? You could have called me, told me, you know? You get my point? So, yeah. you know, I believe, what, like you said, if we can do that and we can, can be consistent at doing that, we can do a lot of good. And, and one of the examples we have in that is uh, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, radiyallahu anhu. He was called Amin al-Ummati Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa The trustworthy one of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the Muhammad's ummah. He's the one that, that, that actually fought his own father and, and, and killed him at, at Badr. He tried to avoid his father three times. And then his father came in front of him and tried to kill him. And he defended himself and killed his father. And his name was Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. Later on in Islamic history, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he was sent by Umar ibn al-Khattab as the judge and put, I'm sorry, as the general, the general of the army. When he got to the army, he was the second in charge to Khalid ibn Walid. But then a letter came from Omar. You are now in charge of the army. And Khalid is not. But they were in the midst. They had just started a, a battle. So since they started the battle and he got this news or they were about to start it, he did not tell Khalid anything. He obeyed Khalid mm -hmm. ibn Walid. Okay? And, and did what he wanted. I'm in charge. Yo, let him, he didn't even tell him. Then after the battle, he told him. And then because Khalid was a better general on the attack and he was a better general on administration and those things like that, when he went to go do something, he said, just so we don't do anything wrong and you don't disobey me, I'm going to obey you. How are we going to attack here, Khalid? So we have to be big like that and recognize mm -hmm. skills. Okay? Just because I'm in charge doesn't mean I have to do everything and that doesn't mean I have to be in charge of everything. Being in charge means I have to manage and make sure the one who can do it the best has the best position to do it in and has the support mm -hmm. to do it in, you know, and we have to look beyond our own egos in that regard. And that's the issue that we the, the war we have to fight, you know, that's what I was going to say is that what you're talking about is, you know, people needing to master and suppress that caged animal, you know, that ego, if it becomes loose. Uh, it, it can just wreak havoc, you know, and I see that unfortunately well, you, you a lot. Mentioned it. You, you yeah. mentioned it when yeah. you said Ihsan. That's what Ihsan yeah. is. Mm. You know, so you, you reminded yeah. me of it when you said that we have to look for Ihsan. It encompasses two things, mm. professionality and mm. what do you call it? Uh, us. For, actually, Ihsan has three levels, three applications. The first Ihsan is in your niya, having the the right niya, the ihsan in your niya. And that is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Period. Okay? The second thing is ihsan in choosing the right action, the best action. Allah said, To see which one you're going to do the best deeds. Not the most deed. The best, the most perfect deeds. And then the third level of ihsan is in the application. Did you do it in the right way? In the Ahsan way. Allah commands us to do justice in the action. You know, oh, he did justice to that, right? 
or he didn't do it justice, meaning he was lacking it and he's blameworthy. Well, Ihsan, and to do it in an excellent way. Allah's Messenger said, uh, He said, He's prescribed that you do everything in an excellent way. So if you slaughter an animal for eating, you sharpen a knife. To make the animal die quickly and easily. So that's Ihsan in the niyyah, in the choice of the action, and in the act itself, in doing it, you do it in a professional way. So, you know, alhamdulillah, you mentioned that, and that's what brought to mind me, you know, that that's what I, I recall when she started to talk about ihsan, that professional activity. And people have to realize mm -hmm. that this is what Allah's Messenger is talking about, the deen. It's not something that's just left in the masjid. It's in every aspect of our life, you know? So may Allah make it, 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 it come to reality for us, you know? I mean, I mean, you know, I see, unfortunately, when people don't have, you know, the alm and the amal and the experience and they haven't like sat at the feet of learned people to learn that adab, uh, unfortunately, because we're so deprived of that system that, you know, that Islamic ecosystem of learning and development and tarbiyah, you know, people, it's like you have so many broken or partially formed individuals. You know, I, I see it so often with maybe a lot of the comments uh, and engagements that Muslims have online. You know, it's like you would never, number one, you would never speak like that to a person in real life, you know, like to their face. And secondly, <laughs> is like, what is the benefit of those words? You know, the hadith of Rasul like, speak good or remain silent. Or the other hadith of Rasul that you could say a word carelessly and that would cause you to sink into the depths of uh, Jahannam. You know what I mean? There's so many like uh, hadith about controlling the tongue. You know, because you mentioned a few points that I just want to highlight from, you know, number yes. one, you know, sitting with scholars, you know, one of the things that I'm doing here is I am sitting with uh, two scholars. One is the chief mufti, Sheikh Dr. Jaylan of the country. And the other one is a local mufti. His name is Mufti Ali Buta of Sheshamanjou. And he's, he's basically, it's like a mufti Qadi course. Okay? teaching us how to be judges. Why? Because those who dare to teach must never cease to learn. And the person who stops studying is the most ignorant person he knows. That's how we look at it. Anyone who stops studying, and you can't say you're a student if you don't have a teacher. So learning it, of course, you have to read. Reading is part of it. That's, that's the water under the bridge, I say. You have to have deep waters. That's your reading. But you have to present yourself at the feet and humble yourself at the feet of a scholar in, in order for you to learn how to be a better person. One of the brothers here, he's an American guy. He came over here with us. Alhamdulillah, I don't want to say his name. But he was wearing a hoodie. And he's also in the school. And he had like one of those designs, you know, those Western designs that said something and had a picture on there. When he went to the class the other day and the sheikh said, what is that that you have on? Okay, what, what is that that you're wearing? What does it represent? It looks like, X, Y, Z, he mentioned, this looks like it's not appropriate, take it off. Now that guy could have said, man, this is, you know, because it was a name brand thing from the United States. Okay, that guy could have said, you know, uh, you know, this is mine. He should have been, could have been arrogant about it. He took it off and he gave it away to a poor person. Went outside the masjid, found, because uh, there's a lot of homeless people 
and people without clothes, gave it to a person. Here, you can wear this. And he didn't, he took it off. This is the type of tarbiyah you learn from sitting with scholars. He's a grown man. This guy has three wives, okay? Has 15 children. He's not a child. But the sheikh told him, that shirt, I don't find it to be, that sweater hoodie, I don't find it to be appropriate. Take it off. And he took it off. Mm. You don't get that online all the time. Because you're not interacting. Yeah, yeah. People can come in and they say whatever they want to these, these internet gangsters and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they can do that. That's their poor home training. They don't realize how bad their, their manners are. We were taught this. And it's, it's something that you said about talking, right? How we should t learn to talk. This is a mnemonic that I learned, okay? It says, before you speak, think. Before you speak, think. Think is spelled T-H-I-N-K. T. Is it truthful? Okay. Before you speak, is it the truth? Is it helpful? H. Is it helpful? I. Is it inspiring? Okay. N. Is it necessary? And K. Is it kind? Right? Mm. This is what This is a beautiful mnemonic. Before you speak, think, is it, is it, is it, is it? And if you can answer that honestly, then I find that the, the application of what Allah says, Allah says, oh, you who believe, then say yeah. a word that goes straight to the point. So think, how do you say Think. Okay, as mm -hmm. Allah's messenger told us, you know, man, let him say whoever believes in Allah on the last day, let him say what is khair, good, or let him shut up. And so Imam Shafi says, you weigh it. You weigh it. If it's the predominant that is going to be positive, then you say it. If it's equal, then you don't. And definitely, if it's not going to be, if, it's, if you think that it's not, then you don't. Think answers that, puts that mm -hmm. into application for us how to do it. You know, and, and my thing here now is like, how do we take the Quran and make it applicable in the Quran and the Sunnah and a, a realistic in our life? Because we've been putting it like it's something fairy taleish or metaphoric and not applicable when it is. It is. And if we, we use our creative minds to take that and put it into a practical application, we would be much better off in that regard. So that's what I have to say. Mm -hmm. You know, is before you speak. Think. Mm. And I think, you know, part of, like, I think people, they don't appreciate or they don't realize until they go through that process. Like when you have ittaqillah, like your sensory perception becomes heightened. You know, I remember, uh, because you mentioned the hoodie story, when I was a teenager, uh, I was in the masjid and uh, like we we're coming up to the rows for the salah and my sheikh was leading the salah and I was wearing um, an Oakland Raiders. I think the the team is moved now, but you know the Oakland Raiders, uh, like a, like hoodie, like yeah, yeah, you know the so that with the pirate, with the, you know what I mean. So I was wearing a Raiders hoodie, right? It's and I didn't think of it because I had just come from like school and I came I came to the masjid and I didn't realize what I was wearing, and of course it's not appropriate for salah, but I swear to you, Sheikh, my my uh, my Sheikh didn't even say a word to me. All he did was look at me 
and then look at my shirt. And he didn't even say you should take it off. Right then and there, I knew what like was going on in his mind. Immediately, I took it off. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm like, what am I doing? And I immediately, because you become sensitized, you know, to like these etiquettes and the adab. And like, even the sheikh now can look at you without the sheikh even saying anything. Okay, I, I, I messed up. You know, sheikh, sheikh's telling me something here, you know? The, 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 the Prophet said, be with those who make you shy. You know, mm. be around those who make you feel shy. You know, and, and every deen has a characteristic and the distinguishing characteristic of Islam is shyness, not timidity, which is different, but shyness. So that thing that you just mentioned there is exactly what we're referring to. The more you're around those type of people, the more they will influence how your character. And we were talking about Ihsan, you know, it's this beautification of character. And that is what the, the whole deen has come to, because the Prophet said, uh, right? He said, the only reason I've been sent is to perfect your character. And that is only done through Ihsan. Islam is submission, where we, we're being disciplined. Okay, that's what Islam is, the disciplining of it. Iman is the psychology of it, right? What do we believe in? It's all, it's all internal. What is this all belief? This is what our worldview is based on. And then Ihsan is the beautification of that character, you know, in application in a nice way, you know, thoughtfulness, you know. So it, it's this whole picture that we put together, you know, uh, not we put together, but that we, we try to apply, you know, in our lives in a realistic way. So, you know, Jazakallah khair, Barakallah fikum. You know, right now we're about to go into Ramadan, you know, which is a huge spiritual. Yes, yes, that's what I wanted to talk to you about now. Yeah. Uh, so, Sheikh, firstly, uh, because Ramadan is approaching, uh, what was the best Ramadan you ever had? Could you just describe what was the best Ramadan? Why was it the best Ramadan that you ever experienced? I never thought about it, you know, to be honest with you. Each Ramadan, I mean, we've been doing Ramadan for a long time, you know. Yeah. You got to really think about this you one, know, Sheikh. <laughs> no, I, 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 but when it comes, what first thing comes to mind was Japan. Ramadan in Japan mm. with my, my, my homies. We were, uh, you know, young. And that's the first thing that comes to mind. And uh, I, I can't say that we knew, every, we didn't know much we had a really good brotherhood with our Ramadan, you know, with, with that. And we yeah. were, uh, there weren't that many Muslims. This was in the 80s. Well, 19, was it 1988, 89? You know, that was, you know, the most, the one that comes to my mind, the most memorable. But I, Ramadan in general is a spiritual marathon. Okay. Uh, yes, it's a spiritual marathon. And every year, something, you know, there are different challenges. Sometimes you have growth. Sometimes they're more difficult than, than others. You know, um, I remember when, when my wife gave birth, I think she gave birth to one of our children on like the 10th of Ramadan. And so I had to be Mr. Mm -hmm. Mom for the rest of Ramadan. I had to get up and make the support for the rest yeah. of the children. That was a lot of fun, you know. And, you know, there, there's different challenges. But the, the thing that I try to use Ramadan uh, to do is, is to become spiritually stronger 
through. And see, the problem is that we we don't know. We are taught things, and you know, in the earlier days that that we pick up as we go along. Now I realize that Ram, my thoughts of Ramadan le- really start maybe about five months before Ramadan. I start thinking about mm. Ramadan. Okay. And uh, start making preparations, saving money, even buying things to make Ramadan better. And it's wrong. I've made so many mistakes of waiting to the last minute to prepare for Ramadan that I, I don't do that anymore. You know, I make sure mm. that I'm fully prepared for Ramadan before Ramadan starts. Okay. So what are some of those things specifically that, that you do that we could also maybe do and benefit from? Well, the first thing I started to realize that the Islamic calendar is set up that way. Rajab is the, the month is a holy month outside of the, we have four holy months. Sometimes, sadly, we don't even know the Islamic calendar except Ramadan and Hajj. You know, you ask somebody, name three months, they were like, oh, and they can't name it, you know, but you have Muharram Safar Rabiul Awal. Actually, after you have, you know, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram, these three months go back to back. Those are all sacred months where everything's supposed to be, you know, focused on Ibadah and, and, and you're in these sacred months. And then outside of that, you have Rajab. So when Rajab comes, that's when you're supposed to start getting yourself ready for Ramadan physically through fasting more reading more Quran, because they say this is Rajab, this is the preparation period for your mind and soul. You take your time. It's like you're trotting. You know, you're going at your own pace. And then when when you come to, you know, Shawal and Shaban, I should say Shaban, you know, you, you should now start be thinking, hey, now I'm fasting more, okay? I'm starting to fast more. I'm getting ready because Ramadan is about to uh, what do you call it? Come on, right? Now, when Ramadan comes, you've already been fasting two months, a little bit, not a lot, as much as whatever you want, right? You've been fasting, you've been reading more Quran. Now you're on a little bit of spiritual high. Ramadan hits, okay? And now you're able to benefit more from your reading, more from your fasting every day because of the gates of Jannah being open, the doors of Jahannam being closed. Everyone else is fasting. So that synergism of, of, of Iman is flowing through everyone. So that's how from a spiritual level, from a physical level, the person should be, of course, the fasting would help. From the, another physical level, a person should be buying their, their dates and those things way in advance so that you don't have to go buy those things during the Ramadan month. The days always go so fast. And then if you have to go shopping and doing those types of things, it takes away from your focus. And it's never good to go buy food when you're hungry anyway. Okay, You, you want to buy and jump. Yeah. But if you can make yeah, a this, list. That's the worst time. Things, yeah. Yeah, some of the mistakes we make, we've turned Ramadan every night in Ramadan into a festival, and that's not what it's supposed to be. Or family reunion. We come to the community, and it's like a community family reunion. Hey, I haven't seen you since last year. Shame on us for not seeing each other since last year. Okay, we shouldn't be that way. Okay, so, but Ramadan is supposed to be time of focus on ibadah, not a family reunion. That's the Eid. That's Yomul Juma. Every Yomul Juma should be like Umrah. Okay. And they said, we come together on that day, you know, but when Ramadan comes, we shouldn't eat so much. 
One of the biggest mistakes we make is we take the, we cook way too much food and have so much waste. Some of the food we can cook and eat for three days because we're fasting. So we need to cut it back some, okay? Really cut it back so that we don't waste so much food. We don't invite non-Muslims or Kufar to come to our our walimas, our break, break the fast, our iftars. So we have all this food left and we don't know what to do with it, you know? We need to get people in there to eat everything, you know, that we have there and get them and not make them feel like they're dirty for being there. You know, really feel welcome. Sadly, we're, we're so standoffish and so non-welcoming to some strange people when they come to the masjid if they're not as clean or as economically, economically financial as we are, you know? So we have to fix that and stop eating so much we break our fast. Sometimes we think we have to make up all three meals with iftar. Okay, I'm, this is for lunch. This is what I miss for dinner. Okay, and this is going to be for my breakfast or my snack. And that's just not good as well. You go comatose. If you eat that much, you just become, you go into a coma. And you can't do anything then all night. No, yeah. you're, you're right. And, and that's, the, that's the result of eating so much. And then what we eat too. We don't have to eat meat every day. You know, we, we, we're not animals, you know, we don't, the Prophet ﷺ was almost a semi-vegetarian. He wasn't a vegetarian, but they did not eat meat every day. They did not eat meat sometimes for a whole month. We had the hadith, we said nothing, no food was burnt in his house, meaning no food was cooked for a month. All they ate was dates and water for some period of time. And a date is such a miracle superfood that it has all the nutritional value of what you need. So you really don't need anything. And that's the, the tafsir of the hadith where it says any house without dates is a house that doesn't have food, meaning it doesn't have the full nutrition that this date would bring to the house. So having dates gives you what you need in that regard. So we have to become wise about the food choices we make, the food, the portions that we eat, you know, drinking water as opposed to soda and these things like that and understanding the effects of the food of, or that we're, we're eating. So Allah tells us to eat the wholesome food that he tells us to be, right? And not the, and don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. And some of the early fuqaha, I'm sorry, Mufassirun said this means this modified genetic food that they come in. And this is this new thing that the, the, the kufar have come out with. And they said a time is the Mufassirun for uh, uh, the tafsir for the, the Quran. They didn't know what they meant by, don't, what do you mean eat the tayyibat? The, the wholesome food, and don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. Now we see it. Don't eat this genetically modified food. You don't know what it's doing, but eat what is wholesome and good for you. The tayyibat, you know? So these are the things that we need to start to prepare mentally and providing ourselves with a nutritious diet for not just Ramadan, but we can use Ramadan as starting, okay? Because what you put in your body is going to affect how you feel about yourself, you know, and we always think so much clearly during Ramadan is because we're, we're fasting. So I think those things, those few things like that should be, you know, what, what it is that we should focus on. And if we, we, we prepare a program for Ramadan and we stick to it, you know, and understanding what we should be doing as opposed to socializing, Ramadan is not a month for socialization. And this is a big mistake. What are the main elements of that pro of the program that every Muslim should have? Number one, he should have his diet set out so that he doesn't take a lot of time 
spending cooking because that's what the point of fasting, one of the points of fasting is not to spend a whole bunch of time, you know, focused on the food. So he should pick which foods will he can sustain himself throughout the month and not take a whole bunch of time away from his ibadah, number one. And he should buy those as much as those as possible so that he doesn't have to go shopping. Of course, he's going to need to go shopping for those 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 things that that spoil. OK, and run out. Number two, he should set up his home, a place where it feels comfortable for him to read because he has to sit down and read the whole Quran during the month of Ramadan. That is one of the major points of Ramadan is to read the entire Quran during the month. You know, so that means he has to make sure he gets lights. You know, if he has to buy a lamp, buy the lamp. He has to buy a, a mat to sit on and prepare an area in his room and in his house so that it could be really reader friendly for himself. And he should set it up not just for himself, but his family. So if everybody's sitting down watching and seeing each other read, it's going to promote the children to read too. You know, and they're going to see, oh, this is read time, you know? And if you have small children, buy newspapers and magazines to give to them because they're going to rip them up. You know, they may not be strong enough. They may, be, they may be too rough for it. So you buy them a newspaper and they'll, they'll learn how to turn the pages and it's not going to mess up an actual book of some sort, you know, or a magazine. That's how we're taught to teach children how to read books without having to buy expensive books and have them rip them up, you know, and you can give yeah. them one a day and let them have, have their fun with it, you know. And I would buy one that has Arabic, an Arabic newspaper, so they see the same writing and they, they feel the same way. And I've seen small children one and a half, two years old, reciting not Quran greatly, but because they see it, mm. they're exposed to it. All right. So even if your reading is terrible and your child reads better than you, your child will be inspired by seeing your father and your mother read. Even if you only get a page in an hour and the child goes through two jills in an hour, he's going to be impressed with your reading. Okay. And so, you know, do it in the same environment, you know like that without putting stress on it okay but making it a matter of fact right uh making sure they have the water so that you can have access to that because people dehydrate you know when fast is over make sure they have the books that they're going to read that when i say that the right mushaf because sometimes people use these really small mushaf i need i can't do it my mushaf has to be you know big enough for me to read you know and i can't take the little sometimes they have these little small ones i can't read those anymore so make sure that that's there. Get a stand, those 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 stands that you can put your mushaf on so that you can pray and have the mushaf in front of you, okay? Anything outside of your fard salah, it is recommended, meaning mustahab, to hold the Qur'an or have it open in front of you and read from it, except for in the fard five salah. We've lost that ruling. And so most of the times we'll pray our sunnah and not read a mushaf. But if you pray your sunnah with the mushaf, how much more would you read? You probably read the whole page, okay? And places that you don't even know. So you get more familiar with it. And since during Ramadan, we pray more sunan, make sure you have a stand or some sort so you can put it there. And especially in your house, you can read a page and do more reading like that. Would that ruling also apply to like a iPad or a, you know, like a no. tablet or a phone? Like no. You could have the Quran on there? No. No? Just the, it doesn't. the actual book? Because the mushaf has a, a specific, it's a technical term. It's a, it's a mustalah. It's a terminology. Mm. And it has already a description that was given by the, by the Sahaba about what the Qur'an is. 
is between the two leather sheets, right? The pages of the Musaf. And even the ulema have spoken about that particular issue as a modern issue, well, the iPad and things like that. And they said, no, it's not the same. It's not zero barakah, but it's not the same barakah of holding the Mus'haf, okay? So I suggest to those people, and this is why the, they say that you can have pictures on your phone, but not actual physical pictures, because the rulings for those things are different for the iPad and the phone and the actual physical, uh, physical book themselves. So the most barakah is in holding the Mus'haf, because even looking at the Mus'haf, you get reward. And I'm not saying there's zero reward looking at the iPad, but you've gone, you haven't done what is preferred. And what is preferred is to have that mushaf. Okay, so I suggest that we stick to that. We should dress better during Ramadan than we do any other time. Every day we should put on our Juma best, okay, so that we look good. Especially so when people see you, what does good mean? That when people see you, say, man, these people are somebody. They must be doing something special. They look good. Something that says, man, these people look nice. What if, who are they? Don't look like Joe Blow. Look special because you are special. You are in Ramadan. Okay? So that's, but it should be practical. Would that also extend to like the Sunnah al-Fitra? Like, uh, you know, like keeping, you know, combed and trimmed, like, you know, nails, everything. One of my biggest pet peeves, Sheikh, is like when I see brothers with long nails. Anytime I see that, I, I don't know what it is. It's just like my biggest. <laughs> I just want to like take that run. It's like, what's wrong with you, bro? You know. So I don't I, know. It's, it's for it's for men. It's for men and women. People realize that the, yeah. the, the cleaning of the nails is for yeah. men and women. It's from it's from the fitra. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I I too am, am, am opposed to this. How can you dress nice and 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 smell funky? Okay, and not. You know, take care of your, your your hygiene. Taking care of your hygiene is a psychological thing, and not taking care of your hygiene shows that there is a there is a mental problem with this particular individual. Because mm. the first thing that happens when a person has psychological problems, they stop they stop taking care of their health, their their their, their hygiene. Interesting. So, Interesting. Uh, you know, so people have to realize that the fitra is for your mental health. As well, and keeping to the fitra is to help you stay from. It's a sign of depression when you see a person filthy and and, thing. and and when I say filthy, when you talk about the nails, anybody that has long nails has filth under his nails. That's one of the reasons why we're taught to trim those nails because it keeps that dirt. Step uh, well, staph infection comes from under the nails, from touching metal, and it gets caught up under the nails, and then you feed yourself with that hand, and that's one of the causes of staph infection. But coming trim nails keeps is one of the ways to prevent that from happening. So, you know, the fitra has so much benefit. Having the beard and having, you know, the, 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 the mustache and, and the beard, they, for some reason, they've done a survey that says the people with beards and mustache don't get as much, you know, inhaled sickness as others. Maybe the beard connects to dust or something like that or stops the yeah, disease yeah, so. from, from, from entering mm. it, you know? So there, these mm. are things that if we follow the fitra, it would be beneficial for us. But I was going to say the thing mm. about the clothing, we're not told to go buy new clothes. This is something that we do that is not opposing the sunnah, but it's not in keeping with what the objective of Islam is. And that's iqtisad, being balanced. 
we don't have to go out and buy brand new clothes every year. But what the Hadith says, they wore their best clothing. What's the difference? This teaches us to have shukr, to have appreciation for what we have. Some of us have more clothes than a sultan used to have. Okay? We have more clothes than kings. We don't hardly wear them, and this is musrifin. Those people who are wasteful, you know? So we have stuff that we're just not using, and we have people who are need. So we need to look and do muraqaba. Look at what do I have? What haven't I worn in a year? Now, of course, because of seasonal changes, we put those things that we use during this particular season. But outside of that, if I haven't worn this thing in two years, a year, then I need to get rid of these things. Okay? I got so much stuff I haven't, I'm saying a person, you have so much stuff that you don't even remember how much clothes you have. I didn't even know I had that outfit because you have so many outfits. Then you have too many outfits. Okay? And so we need to be grateful and take care of the ones we have. Sew the ones that need to be sewed, patches and things like that. And patches is part of Iman. As opposed to constantly spending and wasting our wealth on, you know, new clothing that we may or may not need. And I'm not saying you can't buy new clothing. We can buy new clothing, but we should take the ones that we're not wearing and make sure we put it to good use and give to people that do need. Okay. So that's what uh, I would like to mention about Ramadan. It's that time okay. for us to look at what we have and what we haven't done, what we're going to do with the rest of our lives and show and and Sheikh, like um, in that sense, like especially here in the West, it's getting better now as the time is changing. But your time is limited uh, after you break your uh, fast. Uh, so uh, in that limited period of time, in terms of priority, do you think um, like, of course, uh, you know, sometimes people, they, they misprioritize. For example, they'll make sure they make it for tarawih at the masjid. But then they'll miss the faraid, you know, salah at the masjid. You know what I mean? So th that becomes like the hyper thing that they gravitate towards. And then they miss the other thing. Or they'll be like, oh, I'm just finishing the Quran because I'm attending all the taraway and the imam finished the Quran as if I finished the Quran. So what do, what, what do you think, like, we should prioritize, say, if you only have a few hours. And, you know, sometimes people need to get uh, some sleep too in there because they're working the next day. What would you say is like the level of priority? Is it like finishing the Quran? Is it, uh, you know, praying tarawih every single night? What would you say is like the priorities um, that we, we, we do this and then we have extra time, we do this, then we do this? Alhamdulillah, Rabbil the priority is in being honest, ikhlas, okay? And you know, and we have not been ordered to do anything except for do our level best to be honest about our personal situations. Fiqh is not a broad brush that everyone can use. It is a fine brush that deals with every individual. It's your personal relationship between you and your Lord, my personal relationship between me and my Lord. So what do I mean by being honest and having sincerity? I have to honestly look at, should I go to the masjid tonight? Okay, if, if I'm not living close to the masjid, should I go there or do my family circumstances demand that I stay here tonight? Okay, and deal with my 
children and, and, and take care of whatever maybe my wife may be in the need of me at that moment and the children and the setting up, whatever that is. And I have to get up in the work in the morning time and I got I can now get up and go to Fajr. Not saying I left off the Salat from uh, Isha. Okay, because one of the tricks of the shaitan with people who want to be righteous is that he focus, he, he distracts them with something that is mustahab or something that is fardu kifaya to distract them and keep them from doing something that's fardu ayn. Okay, hmm. it is haram for us to go and stay in the masjid to the point where we miss the fajr in the masjid. Okay, does that make sense? Or Mr. Fajr altogether. I stayed up all night with the brothers yes. at the masjid and we was doing this and then we're sleeping through Fajr. No, that's not correct. It's better that you go to the Maghrib, you go to the Isha, and if you need to go home and go to sleep so that you can be there for Fajr or just get up for Fajr, if it's not convenient for you to go to the masjid, then you, you did what you're supposed to do. As opposed to getting up and staying there when you lose out on the Fardu'ain activities. And the Prophet ﷺ did not mandate praying the Taraweeh in, in, uh, in the masjid every day of the month. He did it three times and stopped in order for us to realize that too. And so he told, so told us, don't make your homes like graveyards or devastated places. Pray at home. Lead your family at home. What do you think the impression would be on your child if you led Taraweeh a couple of times at home with the whole family and you were reciting, you, you practice all year for the couple of juz that you got so that you could recite them with your children and you read the Quran on a couple of days. You know, how much more impressive your child would be with that? I'm totally against the idea of having one imam lead the salah or importing somebody who can be a beautiful reciter and lead the salah during the tarawih. I'm totally against that. Especially in the West, in the, in the here, in Africa, in the East, and in Asia, yes, we can do that because we see more Quran on a daily basis. But in the Western countries, every man should take a day. Every man in the masjid should take a day or half a day. Okay? Meaning he should stand up and do half the tarawih, just that one man. His family would be right there saying, look, that's my father leading the first four raka'ah. Well, watch, my father's going next, right? Look what that would do to the masjid, okay? And then the men throughout the year work on those four raka'ah he's going to leave. If that's all he got, that's all he got. He's ready with that, that, that his, those 10 pages or that 30 or 20 pages, which is a juz. Think how, how much different the masjid would be if 30 or 60 men stood up and led the tarawih, or just 30 men did half of it and the imam of the masjid did the rest of it. He took the last, he, or he just led the father and let them take over the, the thing. And then he stood up and led the witter and the, if he wanted to. You get me if they're going to do that in that masjid. That's, we're talking about having an effect. So I believe that every individual has to judge his situation. If going to the masjid is beneficial for him, and it keeps to him going, to, you know, getting up for the salawat. And he's not benefiting just himself and leaving his family without guidance. Then he needs to think about what he has to do to his family. Because Allah says, Save yourself and your family. You know? Nah. Okay? And Allah also says, Focus on yourselves. 
And it becomes riyah, showing off that you're just at Damascus so everybody can say that you were there. Forget them. Think about it in an honest way and make honest calculations on how you should best do Ramadan for you and your family. What's going to impress in, in, in the long run for them? And that's what I think that, that, that we should be honest about. You know, mm. and I would I, I know that it would really impress our children if they saw their parents up there leaving the salon or their uncles or somebody. Uh, that's actually I have never thought of that uh, idea of, uh, in terms of that level of community engagement. That's actually a very profound idea. I like it. Actually, that's a very profound that they actually prepare uh, all year uh, for that. Um on so many different levels. That's a profound idea, Sheikh. That's a very good idea, actually. Subhanallah. That's um, community, right? Any, community. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Subhanallah. And uh, so, you know, Sheikh, you've been super generous with your time. Uh, are there any uh, any parting words, uh, words of advice before we conclude our um, podcast today? No, I, I think that what we spoke about is, is, is really important in that last part. If the men, because again, the men are you know, the men are the leaders of the communities and the ladies follow them. And that includes the children, okay, women and children, you know. So uh, I think that if we could get the men to commit to that type of leadership, okay, that type of service, you know, uh, that we would, then we would have real changes, you know, in our lives. Mm. And so. Uh, I'd like to leave it on that point, inshallah ta'ala. And I thank you for having me here. You know, we can't solve the world's problems. We don't have all the answers. We just share what, what, from our opinion so people don't blame us. But if, if some of our opinions don't, you know, guide or are not along your ideas, or it may be even correct, incorrect in some ways, you know, we're just doing what we can do, you know, alhamdulillah, and we, we, we're open to be corrected, you know, alhamdulillah, I mean. And I think that's the attitude of the of the Muslim is that we take goodness from wherever we can get it, you know. And if the, if people can get any goodness uh, from this podcast, from this episode, take the goodness. If you can't take, you know, if there's anything else that you can't take, you just leave it. Just take whatever goodness you can take, you know. You know, so, I have another sheikh told me, you know, on that regard, just to say, yeah. again, it goes back to you. One sheikh told me, you will get what you're looking for. If you come into this podcast or any khutbah or any conversation and you're looking for faults, you will find what you're looking for. If you come to this and you're looking for some good, you will find what you're looking for. So it, it, you, what you get is what you look for. Okay? You look for a flower, you'll find it. You look for thorns, you'll find them. So, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. Jazakallah khair. Alhamdulillah. Uh, it was a beautiful conversation. I enjoyed it. Um, we could have kept going, but you know, you've been so generous with your time and you're in a completely different time zone. And for you to make time for us, uh, I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And I know our whole team appreciates it. And, uh, you know, like you, you went far and above the call of duty, Sheikh. So, you know, you know, it takes two to tussle, right? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna 
you know, keep doing this, inshallah. We're going to keep doing this and taking advantage of the time and opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, continues, like, out of his boundless mercy, keeps, you know, blessing us with. And, uh, you know, that's that's my big, my big one of my biggest fears is that, you know, you have bounty in front of you and you don't collect it, you know. And uh, I think that's, you know, we do that far too often. And uh, we should always think about death because if we think about death, uh, often, then we're not going to be complacent, you know, in collecting the bounty that Allah yeah. Taala has for us. So, Jazama Khair, and to all our viewers, remember, uh, we always live by the haq, we die by the haq, and just when you think life is stuck, tune in to Life Haq. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.